0: how to create effective social anxiety exposures. And it may seem obvious, but really social anxiety is much more nuanced than people realize. It is something that I get on such a personal level because we all have a lot of different anxiety and OCD themes in my house, but the one thing we all have in common is social anxiety. Every single one of us, now that my husband's not here anymore, it's the whole family because he was the only one who didn't really have some of these issues. And so um, I'm going to talk about the differences and the way it shows up differently for different people and how those exposures would look different depending on how it's showing up for them as well. Before we get started though, I do want to thank NoCD for sponsoring this episode. NoCD offers affordable, effective, convenient therapy. They are available in the U S and outside of the U S thankfully, you can schedule your free 15 minute consultation to see if NoCD is a right fit for you and your child just go to treatmyocd.com. That's treatmyocd.com. I'll leave a link in the show notes. I do also want to mention that I do have a social anxiety course. It's my only course that is ageless. And so I made it purposely for adults, teens, and kids. And so social anxiety is not age discriminant. It impacts us all in the same way. And a lot of times it comes back to our childhood wounds we'll talk about it. Uh, social anxiety has a genetic component, but a lot of times that trigger point is something that happens in childhood. And so the course I made is helpful for all ages, including adults, because we're going to we have to go back to the beginning and do a lot of fundamental work on social anxiety. And so you can check out my course at at parenting, survival school.com. That's where I have all my courses. You'll just have to scroll down past the OCD courses and then go to the anxiety courses and you'll see it in that category. I will also leave a link in the show notes if you have access to those. So let's dive into this topic today. I love talking about social anxiety because it's just something that I, I live, eat and breathe on a, on a personal level. And it's just so prevalent in my house that it's just something that I know clinically, but I also know as someone who is dealing with it, I don't want to say struggling with it because we're not struggling, you know, we're just dealing with it and you know, all my children have it. and. There is there is a genetic component to social anxiety and social anxiety is actually one of the most common anxiety themes which I find kind of fascinating. But it's not all genetic. You know, a lot of it can be environmental. And so that genetic seed can be triggered or cannot be triggered and unfortunately it was triggered in all of us. <laughs> it doesn't help when if you if your child has some social struggles or bullying, I think that's a very easy trigger for that genetic seed to sprout that's kind of what happened to me. You know, if you have and if you've had a childhood where, you know, you had parents that weren't consistent, you can develop kind of a socially anxious attachment even. We won't dive into all of that, but I do find it fascinating how it can be impacted in different ways and show up in different ways. So, a lot of times people think that and I if you've heard me talk about social anxiety before you've heard me talk about this, and so you may already understand this, but A lot of times people think social anxiety is synonymous with social difficulties, like a lack of social skills, uh, afraid to be social, and that's really not accurate at all. Yes, some people develop those things or have those things, and maybe a large amount of people with social anxiety struggle with their social interactions, but you can be an introvert or an extrovert and have social anxiety. You could be incredibly outgoing. You can have really good social skills. I feel like I have very good social skills, but that doesn't preclude me from having social anxiety. My uncle was in town the, a couple of months ago and I was talking about my social anxiety and he's like, I don't I don't see the social anxiety. Like you're very social. Like you're very good to easy to talk to. And it's like, that's not what social anxiety is though. It is the fear of rejection, criticism, embarrassment, feeling like you're not enough there is a relationship with self-esteem when it comes to social anxiety, because with social anxiety, we look for external validation. And if we don't get that external validation, then we are not okay. Because our stability, our rock depends on that external validation. And that's really at the crux of social anxiety is You define me. I don't define myself. You define me. So if you say I'm not enough, then I'm not enough. And so I become anxious about how you view me because I need that validation in order to feel whole. That can impact a whole bunch of stuff. It can impact our relationships with strangers, friends, partners, parents, in the school environment, in the work environment. It can really, it can be debilitating. And so It can show up in different ways. And so the first thing is understanding how it's showing up for your child or yourself and understanding your core fears around that. And I'll use my family as an example just so that you can understand the different flavors of social anxiety. I'm an introvert and it took me a long time and it's still a process, it's still a journey to separate out what is me from my social anxiety and what things do I not want to do because it's me versus my social anxiety. And that has been tricky because even as I was doing exposures to overcome my social anxiety, it became this really weird question of, I'll give you actually a really good example. We'll just dive into this. A long time ago, I started to do social anxiety exposures for myself because when I hit my forties, I realized, wow, like my social anxiety, I actually didn't even know I had social anxiety. That's so scary, but It becomes so much of your identity that you don't realize that it's not who you are and that it's holding you back. And social anxiety, I think more than really any other anxiety or OCD theme becomes very, it becomes part of your identity. And it's very hard to see it as something separate, or at least that's the case for me, where I just felt like I repelled people. People just don't like me and I don't like people they make me anxious, you know, but really what's underneath that is the fear of rejection. I don't like people because they have the the power to make me feel uncomfortable and to make me feel less than, and I don't like that, but it is hard to figure out what is personality and versus what is social anxiety. Cause I, as I'm exploring, it's been the last decade, I've really explored my social anxiety. I realized that I am introverted and I don't like I don't like crowds and I don't like parties and I don't like small talk. And that's not because of my social anxiety. My social anxiety makes it worse for sure. But then I had to realize that I also, that that's not who I am. And I was, I was doing these exposures in my mid forties and I was at this training and I was signing up for things that I did not want to go to because I was trying to put myself in uncomfortable situations, things that I normally would avoid. And there was like a social mixer, like the the night before this conference or whatever. And I would normally absolutely not go. <laughs> and so I was like, nope, you have to go because this is part of like, this whole trip is an exposure and that's a big part of your exposure. So I went and I went with some woman that I had met at the conference and I was her ride. And there came a time when I was at this party that I was like, I'm not enjoying this. Like, It's not fun for me. I don't really enjoy small talk. There's no one really talking to me. And I wanted to go home. And at that point, I was like, my social anxiety was like, well, you can't leave because you're someone's ride. And so then it got really muddy because it was like, well, I want to leave. And I think I want to leave because my introverted self was done and I was not having a good time. But to ask someone or to tell someone, I'm leaving and I'm your ride and you're in the middle of a conversation was my social anxiety. I was like, nope, we're going to just sit here and bear it. So then it got kind of confusing because it was like, I actually want to leave and the exposure would be for me to, to leave and not stay. And I got really in my head in that moment because I'm like, well, what should I do? Like, Is it an exposure to stay because I'm at a party and I don't want to be here or is it an exposure to leave because I don't want to upset this person that I just met and I'm her ride? And I'd have to interrupt her conversation because she's talking to someone. And so I was like, not sure which would be an exposure. <laughs> and it really now I have much more clarity because I've been working on this for a while, but the exposure was actually to leave because my introverted self did not wanna be there anymore. It wasn't because I was socially anxious. I came, I conquered, I sat there, I was uncomfortable. I did it, I wanted to go. And to go and interrupt a conversation with a you know someone I just met, was going to be much more awkward, and so I did. I went up to her and I just interrupted a conversation in a very awkward way, <laughs> and I was like, "I'm leaving." Sorry. And she's like, barely looked at me. She was kind of rude, and she's like, oh, "I'll take an Uber, or whatever." I'm like, "Okay, fine." And so, and at the end, when I got back to my hotel, I was like, "Was that a win or was that a loss?" Because I left the party, but it was a win. And I I see that with a lot of parents who misconstrue introvertedism <laughs> with social anxiety. And so getting our kids to understand who they are and what things they don't want to do because it's it's not charging them up, it's depleting them versus what they're avoiding, but they really want to do because they're afraid of judgment, criticism, being embarrassed or mocked, like those are the core fears. When you're tired and you just want to leave a party, that's different. Or when your child just doesn't want to go to a party because it's exhausting. You know, a lot of us are social sponges. Like we soak up the energy in a room. We're sensitive people. And so to be around a lot of people can be a little overwhelming. And that's not social anxiety. It's social anxiety when we feel like we're on stage and we feel like everyone's looking at us and it's embarrassing. So that it's different. And so we want to find exposures that are going to speak to that. And going to the core fear can be helpful because the core fear with social anxiety can be very different for each person. So I'm an introvert. My son's an introvert. I would say my oldest daughter is an introvert. My youngest, (laughs) I always joke to her. I feel like we're the Adams family and she's like the blonde girl, (laughs) you know, like she's, she's the, the odd woman out. And thankfully she has just an amazing personality and she's very, um, she's got a great sense of humor, but she is definitely like one is not like the other (laughs) because she's an extrovert. She loves people. We love a lot of downtime. And she is the one that's bouncing off the walls going, I need people. I need people. I need to get out. Like right now we're in the middle of summer and we're going to be traveling a lot this summer. And so all of us are just relaxing, watching TV, like sitting by a pool. I have her signed up for camps because she just cannot not do people. (laughs) She'll go crazy. And that's different than the rest of us. And that's not about social anxiety because she has social anxiety as well. But she loves people. She loves the stage. She's embarrassing on the stage because she's such a ham, even when she's not supposed to be that. It's like, oh my goodness, it just cracks me up because she's just really comfortable in her skin, but she has social anxiety. It shows up different for her than the rest of us. And so the need to be around people or not be around people on that level is not indicative of social anxiety or not. And it that is often often misunderstood. And so the way it shows up, our core fears can be different. So you can have people who are their core fear is that they're not smart enough or that they're not pretty enough. There tends to be a theme around the social anxiety. So having social anxiety in and of itself doesn't really tell you that much. It just tells you that there's a fear of judgment or criticism or alienation or not fitting in or not belonging or not being enough. But it doesn't tell you the what the enough is. And I've seen it be different for each person. You can have people who just feel like they're not good looking enough. And so they're very insecure about the way they look. And so they are they are the kids that, you know, can't leave the house because, you know, their hair just isn't doing what it needs to do or they got a haircut and it's like, "Oh my gosh, you know, people are going to think I look like an idiot or I can't wear these clothes, people are going to look at me." And a lot of times with social anxiety, we don't want to be, you know, we don't want attention drawn to us. So any change can be overwhelming for for most people with social anxiety. But this is a reoccurring theme um, that they're prettier or that group likes, you know, they don't like me because I'm not as attractive. So it could be how someone looks. It can be someone's intelligence. I'm not smart enough. You know, if I say something, what if I stumble on my words, or if I read something out loud, what if I mispronounce something? I'm not smart enough that people are gonna think I'm not smart enough. It can be, I'm not athletic enough, you know, all the other people are like so good at at soccer and I'm just, you know, mediocre. And so it can be about a skill you know, depending on where, what, what they're into, it can really be about anything about not being enough of something. It can be that you don't feel like you're cool enough. Like I'm such a geek. I'm such a nerd. I don't fit in. I'm not like hip enough. Just using the word hip. I know makes me unhip, but that's okay. Cause I don't care anymore, <laughs> but targeting what those things are can be important. Sometimes it's not even about those things. A core fear could be I'm afraid I'm going to embarrass myself and then I'm going to lose my friends. And so for my daughter, my youngest daughter, she's very confident in her skin. She likes to be the center of attention. So she is definitely a good example of a different type of social anxiety. She, you know, her hair is dyed bright red right now. She likes the attention. You know, when it's like one of those days where it's like dress up like the 80s or dress up like she's, she doesn't care if she goes to school and no one else is dressed up. She's confident. She likes the attention, but what she does show up for her is what if I do something that makes other people not like me? And so a lot of her OCD themes center around her social anxiety. She has a the fear of throwing up. And she's like, what if I, what if I throw up, then everyone's going to think I'm gross and disgusting and I'll be the talk of the town and no one's going to be my friend anymore. She has sensory motor OCD where she is, you know, worried that she might have an accident And she never has. She'll she'll talk about how when she was four, she almost had one, or she had a little one at Target, she didn't, or it was minor and she was four, but that's enough for her to worry. What if, what if I have that? And so for her, it's like losing control and then ruining her reputation. And so I have seen that as a core fear for some people with social anxiety. With my son, he has much more of like a kind of, I think more of a stereotypical social anxiety that people think of as social anxiety it does smush into his OCD themes too. And so I do find it interesting how OCD will just butt its way into social anxiety. If your child has OCD and they have social anxiety, OCD will like dominate and take over social anxiety themes as they do in my family. But my son, he worries around being around new people. He worries around. So like if we had someone come to the house, he wouldn't want to be around them. He's afraid they might judge him. And his judgment things are attached to his OCD theme. So he has some moral OCD themes that he is spoiled or he's a brat. And so if they saw him on his iPad, like that would be overwhelming, but it goes back to judgment, right? People are going to judge me. They're not going to like me. He has a history of bullying. So he worries about people making fun of him. And so if like my older daughter's young adult friends come over, he's worried they might tease him or bully him. And so he'll want to go hide haircuts are hard for him because someone might, you know, make fun of him. Clothes are are hard. He won't wear anything where people can, you know, any like shirts that have things that he likes on them because people might make fun of him for it. Sometimes when you have a child that's been bullied, it can really partner up with social anxiety and make it 10 times worse. And so he also struggles with ordering his own food, talking to strangers because he might stutter, which he has started to like stammer when he talks. I think in part because of his social anxiety. And so, I feel like his social anxiety stuff is much more of what we think of when we think of social anxiety. However, he has no problem going on stage. And a lot of people I think don't realize that people with social anxiety aren't necessarily afraid to go in front of people. Now, I would say I was going to say that I am, but I really, I mean, I guess I'm not if you think about everything that I do. But if I was on a stage in front of thousands of people, I think that would be like a little overwhelming for me. I don't I wouldn't want to like see them. So I think it's just different for each people, each people, <laughs> each person. Uh, I know when I was in eighth grade, I developed a phobia of reading out loud, which was totally tied into my social anxiety because I was afraid that if I I had a teacher, I had a history teacher who was very lazy and he made all of us just read the whole the whole period. And I would count how many people were in front of me and I'd start to get sweaty and anxious because I thought I'm going to mispronounce something and I'm going to be laughed at. People are going to think I'm an idiot. and part of what I've embraced now is if you've listened to my podcast, like if I make a mistake or mispronounce something, I just make fun of myself. I'm like, whatever. You know, if someone corrects me, I'm like, okay, I'm sorry that you needed to correct me. I've had people in the past like email me and be like, mispronounce that word. Or, you know, you're saying this, but you should say that. I'm like, "Uh, okay. (laughs) you know, I'm sorry that you had to take a lot of time out of your day to to let me know that. Uh, I don't know what that's going on. That's something about you, not me. But I've developed a lot of thick skin around those type of things just because of the the work that I'm doing now. But finding the core fear is really important. And so I think my core fear is maybe appearing dumb. That's been like a historical core fear, but it's also about social rejection that I'm not cool enough for people to want to talk to in a group setting. Group settings are the hardest for me. I think for my daughter, my oldest daughter, it's appearance. She kind she gets really hyper focused on how she looks. And feeling embarrassed. And I'll be like, we're in the middle of the desert, like in between Arizona and California. And you won't go into this gas station because your hair doesn't look good. Nobody cares. Nobody knows you. And even if they did, it wouldn't matter. But you legitimately won't see these people ever again. And so that's her theme. Like mine, not as much. I don't really care as much about what I look like in general related to my social anxiety. And so Ask yourself, what is the core fear for your your kids? Or, or ask them, what's the scariest part of? You can kind of see the themes if you just play detective and you take a step back and you look at where it's showing up. So let's say you have a child who refuses to go to school and they have social anxiety. Say so like, what's the scariest part of the day at school? Or, you know, it's better to separate the social anxiety from them, personify it. So my social anxiety, I call him paro for paranoid because it makes me paranoid it's always like oh they don't like you for real you know <laughs> or like yeah that did not go down well nobody really wanted to talk to you it's like a really nice friendly voice in my head but it would be like so let's just say your child's calls it paro they don't but i'm just for for ease sake you would say something like what does paro say will happen when you're at school or what's the what's the hardest part about your social anxiety when you're in math and then they'll give you hopefully more information like well when i You know, sometimes the teacher just calls on people randomly. And then what if she calls on me and I get the wrong answer and everybody thinks I'm an idiot? Like you can start to get a sense of what those core fears are. Or I can't play soccer or basketball because what if they pass me the ball and I miss I miss scoring? Then all the parents are gonna think I'm a horrible player, or the kids are gonna think I let them down. You can start to get to the core fears of is it performance related? Is it Academic related? Is it all of the above? You know, just I'm not good enough in all areas. So, exploring the core fear is really helpful because normally there's a few that are more predominant, right? So, for my daughter, it's going to be losing control, whether that's throwing up in public or doing something in public that embarrasses her. For me, it's about being rejected socially. I'm going to sit in front of a group of people and no one's going to talk to me, and then I'm going to feel really. I'm going to feel like a loser. (laughs) That's my number one core fear for my son is people are going to think that he's a brat or entitled, or they're going to make fun of him for my daughter. It's mainly appearance oriented. You know, people are going to think I'm not attractive enough. At least I think that that's what's going on. That's what looks like is going on on the surface with her at this point. She's older now. And so ask, you know, try to play detective and figure out what it, what it is for your child. So you can explore some of those core fears often with social anxiety is going to be i'm not enough and then insert whatever that is or i don't want to lose control and we see that with panic disorder too they can get some social they can get socially anxious because they're worried that they might lose control in front of other people and then they'll feel rejected and so the loss of control can sometimes pair up with social anxiety around panic disorder uh metaphobia and perfectionism as well all right when we get back from the break going to talk about some exposure ideas and where to start. We'll be right back. It's time we put help directly in our kids' hands. Introducing Crushing OCD Course for Kids and Teens. It was way more helpful than all the other therapy we've ever done because we didn't really know what to do. So we weren't really doing it before. So the course helped to figure out what the exposures are and how to do them. We're not in therapy and find it really hard um, to find an ERP trained therapist here. Um, So we're currently with like the public health service. But again, they don't seem to be trained in ERP. It's filled that gap that we don't have that was desperately needed. This was really well timed for us to use between therapists and to help us like start get off to a good start with this new practice. It was easy to use. Um, I was able to do it from my phone or also on the computer. There's different ages, you know, so there were younger kids, there were teenagers. And um, so that was really nice, too, to have a variety of ages where it wasn't just geared towards younger kids or older kids. It was a nice variety. It's helpful for our kids to hear it from this like third party as opposed to just us saying it. I really like the offense and defense method. I love working on poking at OCD while it's sleeping. It makes it a little bit easier to do and it's kind of fun. (laughs) I'm planning on using it to work on my uh, fear of like holding or touching batteries and stuff like that. So it was really helpful and I think a lot of other kids would like it. I thought that I was like the only one who had worrying about the weather and stuff. And then there was somebody else on there who worried about the same thing, which was really helpful. seems less scary to work on stuff now that I've watched this class and I'm more interested to work on it. I like trying to do more exposure still and going to, before I wasn't, I just didn't want to do them. I've worked on some of my bigger compulsions and been successful. I realized that it was helpful to do like the exposures before it was like really, really hard. It's still hard, but it's helpful to know that I need to do them. Before there would be a lot of battles about it, so it is definitely less loggerheads. Really, really good course and super helpful. I definitely would recommend this. It's really easy to follow, it's nice, bite sized videos. I really like the worksheets that go along with it. And I think it's really helpful. To learn more about this course and register your child or teen, go to atparentingsurvivalschool.com. All right, welcome back. So let's dive into some exposure ideas. You know, it's helpful to get those core fears or some idea of a sampling of core fears to develop really effective exposures. And you really want to partner with your child when you're developing exposures of any sort, because it's not for us to tell them what to do. It's to partner with them and to explore what would be an exposure for them. And so it's, it's figuring out what does social anxiety make hard for you? Like what things are you avoiding with social anxiety? It's avoidance. Um, with any anxiety, the fuel line that's growing the anxiety is avoidance typically. And so with social anxiety, we're avoiding. So it's helpful to start with what things are you avoiding? And so for me, I'm avoiding crowds, not crowds. That's actually not true. I'm avoiding unstructured social events. That is like the number one thing is I'm avoiding unstructured social events. I'm great when I'm like a professional and I, you know, I have like a role, but when you're just plopping me in a party, that still makes me very, very anxious. And so that would be one for me. When I was in the throes of early days with social anxiety, it would be really any situation where there were people, (laughs) you know, like I wouldn't want to make small talk to um, a cashier. I wouldn't want to make small talk to anybody. I wouldn't want to be in any, you know, my social anxiety was so bad that just walking my kids to like preschool was overwhelming for me because I had to pass other parents and I wasn't sure like, should I say hi? Should I not say hi? Should I smile? Should I not smile? Like it was that severe that just walking and dropping them off was overwhelming. And so these pickup lanes have been very helpful, but that's not good for your social anxiety. I think I've improved a lot since then. We're talking about a long time ago, but even like putting up decorations on my lawn for Christmas or Halloween, that would be overwhelming for me. Cause I think like everybody can see me in the neighborhood. Like that's extreme, right? So that just gives you a little like window into my social anxiety. So ask your child, what are some things you think you avoid because of your social anxiety? Or if you're personifying it, what things does Paro make you avoid because of your social anxiety or make you uncomfortable with? The more externalized, the better, because then it's not about them and that can help. And then that's kind of your building blocks of like, what are the things you're avoiding? Those are the things you're going to slowly with small baby steps, expose yourself to. So for my son, he avoids ordering. I don't order for him. He started to stutter or stammer. And so you know sometimes it's just it's too extreme and he needs me to come in and kind of like order for him or he's panicking too much but that's a new thing it's not like he was like selectively mute as a child and couldn't order food for himself and it's not like we ordered food for him and and kind of fostered and accommodated that kind of behavior because I'm you know I know better just because I know that it can grow into something bigger but it kind of became a new thing over the last i would say 2 years is ordering and so that would be something on his list. Sitting somewhere where like someone comes into our house that he's not comfortable with, which is pretty much everybody that's not his family would make him uncomfortable. Uh, Watching his iPad at the airport or in public would be a huge one for him. And so ask your child, what things do you think you're avoiding? And then that's kind of like a great template to say, let's talk about exposures and like small steps that we can do to slowly get you more comfortable in that discomfort. Like for my son, it would be starting to order for himself and and we gamify it. And I think that's a really important component is to gamify things and have them earn points or earn stuff for doing these exposures. And I do walk you through all of this much more in depth in my social anxiety course, how to teach kids. No, it's not called that. It's called crushing social anxiety because you're not teaching kids. It's actually directly for The person with social anxiety to take the course. Um, It can be helpful for parents to take it with their kids and they can see the different steps to take. But I do walk you through how to explore your core fears, how to develop a hierarchy, how to develop exposures. I also work a lot on your self esteem because tied with this is self esteem building. And so you can even do exposures that build your self esteem because when you don't need other people to validate you, social anxiety decreases. And I've noticed that with my youngest daughter, her self-esteem has really been growing over the last year and her social anxiety is getting smaller. And a big part of that is because she's not needing other people to validate her. She's starting to feel valid in her own skin, which is huge. And so there is a huge component of my course that is self-esteem work as well, because that, that goes hand in hand with social anxiety. So for my son, we have a point system set up. And so If we're ordering or something, I'll say, if you want to get ice cream, you're going to have to order for yourself. Like, we'll kind of like preface it before he goes, or I'll say, you can get five points if you order for yourself. And so there's that incentive and motivation. Now, if my daughter was there who has social anxiety too, and I said, if you order for yourself, you get five points, that'd be ridiculous because she doesn't have a problem ordering for herself. For her, it would have to be something different. It would be, well, and she's a little bit trickier with her social anxiety. There's like weird little things that she'll kind of hook into. And so when she was little, like she wouldn't want to like roll her sleeves down. She thought that they would look weird, you know, and so that was an exposure. Um, we did a lot of throw up exposures. it It's really targeting her fear of lack of control in my practice, I've had kids who had a fear of like throwing up or doing something embarrassing. I'd have them like drop. A bunch of change on the floor in the mall, or something that would like draw attention to them. So that's kind of like similar to feeling like you're going to have a panic attack or you're going to throw up. It's like drawing that attention to you due to a mistake. Or I've had kids purposely raise their hand and give a mistake or say the wrong answer. But the important thing to recognize when you're doing, when you're trying to create effective exposures, is tapping into their core fear and then developing exposures that are small enough steps that are not jumping off a cliff. It's like finding that edge. I I often talk about that. It's like finding that edge of discomfort that it's not off the cliff, but it's not comfortable because you don't want to push someone over the edge and then they never want to do an exposure again. And then it almost reconfirms why they should be anxious about that. It's, I can do these difficult things and I can get through it. And so for me, I started with like creating these challenges in my head where I had to like talk to the cashier and make small talk because that made me uncomfortable because I don't like to do small talk. Now I don't do small talk now, even though I did those exposures, it was just to flex my discomfort in small talk. Um, I can do small talk, but I don't like to start conversations. That actually was more of a social anxiety thing. Starting conversations was hard for me. If someone came up to me and talked to me, not a problem, but initiating conversation with a stranger for no reason, that was a bit uncomfortable. Now it's not, but I choose not to do it because that's not my personality. I'm friendly, but I don't want to talk about the weather when I'm checking out. You know, I want to have a genuine, authentic conversation. And so if something genuine pops up, I have no problem bantering with someone, but I'm not going to have artificial banter (laughs) because my bandwidth is really tiny. So developing exposures that are pertinent and work for your child. So for my daughter, it might be, I remember one time she was not dressed and she was in slippers. She was wearing clothes, but they were like her comfortable clothes. And I said, we're gonna to go to Starbucks. And then she didn't want to get out of the car because she was wearing something that she deemed not acceptable. And I incentivized her, you know, and I can't remember what it was, but you know, even older kids, you can incentivize. And I said, you know, if you come in with me, you can earn, I don't know, it's probably Starbucks the next day. And that was an exposure that she was able to do. Now see that exposure wouldn't have been effective for my youngest daughter because she wouldn't care what people think. And it probably wouldn't be effective for me either. Cause I don't care anymore what people think about what I'm wearing. And so you can see that the exposure for social anxiety is very nuanced, depending on your child's particular core fears and the things that upset them. It might be something like you're going to purposely miss the basket, which can be, maybe that's too big of a step. And it might be something smaller, or maybe purposely miss a basket at practice and not in the game, you know, finding that sweet spot where it's not overwhelming, but you're building up. And the idea is that over time, you build up more and more capacity to handle the discomfort. The interesting thing, and I think this is a thing to just remember, and I'll just kind of wrap up on this, this one, this, this last note is one thing that I've realized with myself that I just had this epiphany recently in my own journey with social anxiety is that it's not that it goes away, right? It's not, I mean, it, it has gone away in a lot of areas for me. I can talk to people, I can present, I can do things that would make me run to the toilet in the past, to be honest, but I'm still, I will never be fully hundred percent comfortable in a non-structured social event. I just won't be. And that's not a failure of social anxiety. I've come to realize that, that is, that's just a component of me. Can I do it? Yes. And that, that is the key is I can handle the discomfort. It's not a failure that I'm still uncomfortable in those situations. And I've only realized that recently where I'm like, oh my gosh, why am I still so uncomfortable in a non-structured social event? Like I have done so much work on my social anxiety. And what I have learned recently is I need to also love and accept who I am and love and accept that social anxiety will show up and that that is okay. But the thing to focus on is did I sit there? Was I able to sit through that? Was I able to tolerate the distress instead of avoiding the event altogether? And the because there's things I have to do, especially when it comes to like my kids, I have to go to their conferences, not conferences, their their shows or their I don't know, why I was saying conferences. Concerts. I knew it was a C. I'm like, why did my brain go to conferences? They have those things. And honestly, for my social anxiety to sit in an auditorium full of parents who are all socializing and talking, and I have to get there early. So I have to get a seat. And I don't have a husband with me anymore because he passed away. And my oldest daughter who would normally go with me, she's at college now. And so I have to just I just have to deal. I have to sit there, not being talked to by anyone, seeing everybody else socialize. And that's like ripe opportunity for my social anxiety to be like, You're such a loser. Like you have no friends here. Like Nobody's talking to you. And I have to remind myself, one, I really don't like superficial relationships and it's okay. Like I only want a couple of deep relationships. I only have so much energy for a few of those. And so it's like, you want to be included, but you really, as an introvert, you actually don't want it, right? Does that make any sense? It's like, invite me, but then I'm not going to go, but I'd like to be included. And Learning how to sit with the discomfort is just sitting there in that auditorium, having other people talk and everyone's chatty and me just sitting there by myself. I can do that now. I can handle it. I'm not getting nauseous or worried about it. I can do it. Do I love it? No, I do not, but I can handle it. And that's the goal for our kids too. It's like they may never love meeting new people or going to a party or being in a social situation, but can they handle it? And that's that's what we're doing. That's what we're doing with exposures. So I hope that was helpful for you. I hope that deep dive on social anxiety and just using my family as an example of the nuances of how it shows up in such different ways for different personalities and honoring the introvert in your child, right? Because maybe they just are overstimulated and they just don't, they genuinely don't enjoy meeting new people or socializing. And maybe they only have enough bandwidth for a a few of those interactions. And it may not be social anxiety. It might just be, it's not my thing. And so learning how to differentiate that can be really helpful. Well, I hope that you enjoy my podcast in general. Don't forget to hit a star and rate it wherever you consume your podcast. If you have a few extra seconds, you know I always really appreciate it if you leave a review. If you leave one, I'll probably be reading it next time. I don't have any new reviews, so it'll probably be yours if you leave one. And I appreciate that. Don't forget to check out my social anxiety course, Crushing Social Anxiety. You can check that out at parenting com. I'll be back next Tuesday for another topic. Don't forget to find the sparkle in everything you do. Take care. Thank you for listening to the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. To get additional support raising a child with anxiety or OCD, visit Natasha's online school of on-demand classes at atparentingsurvivalschool.com.